Hola mi gente, what up my people, my name is Pastor Rich Colon, I'm the lead pastor here at Santos Church, broadcasting to you live from Southwest Detroit, Michigan. Wherever you're listening from, I'm glad that you are listening. This podcast is meant to do one of two things, and that is either bring you our message content or it's content that we thought would enrich our message content. We'll have more information at the end of this episode on how you can get connected with us either in person, online, or on social media. But for now, thanks for listening to this podcast. Gracias para escuchando esto podcast. And let's get into it. Vamos. All right, all right. So it is that time again that we are ready to jump into a new series. I love when we jump into new series because we get to collectively as a faith community shift our focus on a different theme, a different topic, different scriptures, uh, what have you. And so it is that time again here at Santos. We are jumping in for the next four weeks into the book of Philippians. Philippians. Um, If you didn't know, the book of Philippians has four chapters, and so it's pretty easy to follow along. If you'd like to, each week we are going to be looking at a different chapter of the book of Philippians. Uh, This is week one, so we are in chapter one of Philippians. And this series, we want to look at joy as the overarching theme for the book of Philippians, and you'll see why here in a second. But before we do that, um, I want to set you up for success right? Like if you've ever heard uh, that terminology, set set someone up for success, set me up for success. Essentially, all that means is give me the, give me the context clues, give me the information, uh, give me the tools I need to be able to succeed uh, or have my best shot at succeeding at whatever I'm about to do. And so me uh, wanting to give you your best shot at digging into this and getting the most out of this content as we work through it together. I want to set you up for success by giving you just a brief outline or context or understanding of the book of Philippians. So the book of Philippians is written by the Apostle Paul. Um, He also went by Saul in more Jewish circles. Around here at Santos, we oftentimes refer to him as the OG uh, because Paul was just that dude. He had street cred in all the different circles. He has a crazy testimony. Um, and so Paul writes this to one of the first church plants. Um, many think it is the first church plant or or the first faith community um, in the New Testament after Paul's missionary journeys. And this is in a place called Philippi, hence the name Philippians. And so Paul is writing this to Philippi in jail. Um, and one of Paul's um, guys that's kind of like being discipled by him, who's learning from him, is going to pick up this letter and take it to this faith community in Philippi. Now, some context about Philippi. It is a Roman colony that is known uh, for their patriotic nationalism, right? So our equivalent today in American culture would be like if you were to go to Washington, D.C., in the areas where all of the nation's uh, you know, historic monuments are, right? Lincoln and the White House and, you know, the Pentagon, all those different things, red, white, and blue everywhere, you know, gift shops with American flags and, you know, Mount Rushmore toys in it and all that kind of stuff. Just America, think that, America pride, red, white, and blue, screeching eagles, all of that stuff, but translate it to Rome, okay? And so that's what this whole uh, city was was like, patriotic nationalism. They are about Rome. They are sold out for Rome. Rome could do no wrong. Rome is the kingdom and Caesar is the king. And so 
Paul and everybody else now who's in this faith community after him is being persecuted for their faith because the gospel is is completely juxtaposed to this this kind of climate because they're saying, hey, uh, Rome is the kingdom, Caesar is the king, and the gospel is saying, actually, heaven is the kingdom and Jesus is the king. And and when you really believe that that your guy is the king, somebody else coming around to tell you that he's not, there's actually a greater king that doesn't sit too well. And so this faith community in Philippi is experiencing persecution, and Paul is writing from his own persecution to encourage them knowing what that climate is like. Paul's persecution now is Paul is in jail, but jail then, for Paul at least, was not like what we think of it now. Jail then, Paul was in jail, yes, but then Paul was also accompanied by a Roman soldier at all times of the day. So if Paul had to go to the bathroom, he was there. If Paul wanted to lay down and take a nap, that guy's in the room, right? Whatever Paul wanted to do, he was not alone. He was accompanied by a Roman guard, Roman soldier. And so Paul is in jail for preaching Christ. Paul makes this known to us right away in, in chapter one. And from his persecution, he's writing to the, the church at Philippi, the Philippians, in their persecution in a patriotic nationalistic climate, but it's funny to know about Philippians that this is Paul's most positive letter. Paul was a Pharisee, which the implications there are that he knows the Old Testament really well, and the Old Testament prophecies and scriptures and all that mean a lot to Paul, okay? And Paul doesn't mention anything anything from the Old Testament once, Zero mentions from the Old Testament, which is huge for a former Pharisee, right? But instead, it has over 45 mentions of Jesus Christ, of the person of Jesus and the the good news of the work that Jesus has accomplished through the cross. 45 mentions, over 45 mentions of that. No mentions of the Old Testament. Paul is in jail, chained to a guard, persecuted for his faith, but it is Paul's most positive and encouraging and warm letter that we find in the New Testament. So that's some context for you about the book of Philippians. All of that is very important for you to remember to keep in the back of your mind as we work through this content for the next four weeks. And so having said that, let's jump into week one today, uh, the joy in living for Christ, Philippians chapter one. Okay. And so I want to start this with a question, and it's, a, it's an easy question. I could almost probably answer it for you, but the question is, have you ever heard of a win-win situation? Obviously, I'm assuming that the answer is probably yes. This is not new verbiage for, for anybody, I'm assuming, and, but the idea is that you're faced with two options that are both good. That's a win and a win. Then you have a win-loss where one option is clearly better than the other or one outcome is clearly more favorable or beneficial to you than the other. And so if you end up with one, that's a win. You end up with the other, that's a loss. And then you have a lose-lose where no option on the table is a good option. And no matter what happens, you feel like you're going to take an L. You're going to take a loss, right? So you have a win-win, win-loss, and then you have a lose-lose, right? And so as we're talking about joy... For the next several weeks, our definition of what a win is matters and and what our greater hope is that is feeding our definition of what a win is will ultimately guide our definition of just just winning 
of, of gauging a scenario and saying, man, this is great. This is right for me. I feel this or yo, like something went wrong. This doesn't feel right. I feel lost. I feel hurt. I'm, I'm losing, right? To follow the terminology. In my work experience, whenever we start launching a new project, a new initiative, or a new ministry, whether it's nonprofit stuff or church stuff, one of the foundational questions that, that you always ask to help give direction to what you're about to do is what's the win, right? Like in other words, when this happens, we know that we've accomplished what we've been setting out to do. And so what I want us to do over the next several weeks together is redefine what our win is with our faith. Because when this happens, we'll know that when certain things happen to us, we're on the right track. No matter how they look to, to people on the outside looking in or people who, who have their hope anchored in different things, no matter how it looks to them, we will be able to identify what really is a win or a loss for us. We'll know when we are on the right track and we're moving in the right direction, especially as it pertains to joy. Because if we don't define a win and we allow other definitions to start telling us what a win is and what success is and, and how things should feel and the things we should pursue, then we fall susceptible to these temporary, chasing down these temporary shots of, of joy, of little joys, of temporary joys, of imitation happiness. We chase those down and we, we go from one to the next to the next to the next because we won't achieve and we won't find what, what God has for us, this abiding joy and peace and fulfillment and knowing that we are doing what he has for us to do and we are where he wants us to be. But that all comes from knowing where our greater hope is rooted. And so as we dig into this, I want to go ahead and just read to you straight from Paul's letter to the community at Philippi, right? And so we're going to jump in week one, chapter one, Philippians chapter one. And so I'm just going to start reading it to you. And then along the way, I have uh, four verses that I want to highlight because I think they really define the direction of the, this, this book of Philippians overall, but then also um, they really help sum up the whole first chapter very well. And so I'm going to pause intermittently. I'll tell you what verses I'm referencing, um, and, and I want to kind of just draw our attention to those. And so anyway, here we go. We're going to jump right into chapter one. Chapter one, verse one says this. This letter is from Paul and Timothy slaves of Christ Jesus. I'm writing this to all of God's holy people in Philippi who belong to Christ Jesus, including the church leaders and the deacons. May God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. And then he says this, every time I think of you, I give thanks to my God. Whenever I pray, I make my request for all of you with joy. For you have been my partners in spreading the good news about Christ from the time that you heard it until now. And I am certain that God, who began the good work within you, will continue his work until it's finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. So pause there. Uh, chapter 1, verse 6, what I just read. I want to pose this question to you. What is our hope rooted in? What is your hope rooted in? Because the implication from uh, verse 6 right here is, is that there's a greater hope. There's a greater hope right there at the tail end of 6 when he says he, he started a good work in you. I, I'm 
confident that he's going to finish this work in you. And you'll see that happening. And you'll see that it's finished on the day when Christ returns. The hope, the greater hope that Paul is is alluding to here is that Jesus is not done. He's still working. He's going to keep working. And then the ultimate hope is that he is going to come back. He isn't gone for good. He's, he's actually not gone at all. He's currently working. He's, he's up to some stuff. He's busy within us and, and, and all the things that are happening right now in his followers and in the church. But then on top of that, he's also coming back. So our hope is that while Jesus is working in us and through us, our greater hope is that we're going to see him again, right? And so that's, that's the hope. That's the hope that Paul's, or that's the hope that, that Paul is anchored in right? And so it's important to point that out from the beginning, because here's the thing. What our hope is rooted in is ultimately what the source of your joy will be. If your hope is rooted in a person, then they dictate your joy. If your hope is rooted in having enough money, then if you don't have enough money, it steals your joy. If your hope is is rooted in a promotion at your job, then if you get it, you feel great. But if you don't, your joy is gone just as easily. Whatever your hope is rooted in is ultimately going to be the source of your joy. Let's keep reading. Verse 7. So it is right that I should feel as I do about all of you, for you have a special place in my heart. You share with me the special favor of God, both in my imprisonment and in defending and confirming the truth of the good news. God knows how much I love you and long for you with tender compassion, with the, the tender compassion of Christ Jesus. I pray that your love will overflow more and more and that you will keep on growing in knowledge and understanding. For I want you to understand what really matters so that you may live pure and blameless lives until the day of Christ's return. There it is again, the hope. May you always be filled with the fruit of your salvation, the righteous character produced in your life by Christ Jesus. For this will bring, you much, this will bring much glory and praise to God. Now check this out. Here's our ne- what the, the next thing I want to point you to. And I want you to know, my dear brothers and sisters, that everything that has happened to me here has helped to spread the good news. For everyone here, including the whole palace guard, knows that I am in chains because of Christ. Paul's perspective here is different, right? Like he's in jail. And if we want to talk about a lose-lose, right here, Paul could clearly say like, yo, I'm losing. I'm in jail, y'all. He just got done talking about how much he misses his people. Every time I think of you, I'm filled with joy. Man, I miss you. I wish I could just be with all y'all hanging out and kicking it right now, but I can't. But I'm still joyful because God is reminding me of our love, of our friendship, of our community, and that, that's motivating me. And then he comes down and he says, I want you to know that everything that's happened to me has helped Helping is a good thing, right? Everything that's happened to me has helped to spread the news of Jesus Christ, the good news of Jesus Christ, that that he lived and and he died the death that he shouldn't shouldn't have died in our place and rose again from the grave so that we can do all that too. And then he's coming back again, right? Like that's the good news. And because of all these bad things, quote unquote, bad things that have happened to me, it's actually helped It's been helpful in spreading the message of Jesus Christ. And so Paul's perspective is is a direct 
result of where his hope is rooted. His hope is rooted in the hope of Jesus Christ, right? His hope is rooted in the fact that Jesus is up to something. God has a plan and God is working on it and God is coming back. And because that's where his hope is, then he sees the good even in the bad situation. Let's keep reading. And because of my imprisonment, most of the believers here have gained confidence to speak boldly God's message without fear. More good things that have come out of his bad situation. It's true that some people are preaching out of jealousy and rivalry, and others preach about Christ with pure motives, but they preach because they love me, for they know I have been appointed to defend the good news. The other ones, they don't have pure motives as they preach about Christ. They preach with selfish ambition, not sincerely intending to make my chains more painful to me. But that doesn't matter. Whether their motives are false or genuine, the message about Christ is being preached either way. So I rejoice again. Is it a win that they're preaching with good motives? Yes. Is it a loss that they're preaching with bad motives? No, that's actually a win too, because either way, the message of Christ is still being preached. So I rejoice. I have joy. And I'll continue to rejoice. For I know that as you pray for me, the spirit of Jesus Christ helps me. And this will lead to my deliverance. For I fully expect and hope that I will never be ashamed, but that, will, that I will continue to be bold for Christ as I have been in the past. And I trust that my life will bring honor to Christ, whether I live or die. Check this out. For to me, living means I am living for Christ and dying is even better. What? Pause, man. Like living means I get to keep doing what God made me to do. But if I die, yo, that's even better. Why? Because if I'm here, I'm doing what he made me to do. But if I die, I'm with the one who made me. There's, there's not a win-loss there. There's no win-lose scenario. It's a win-win-win scenario is what Paul is saying. But why? That, that to, to us, if we're looking at it through the wrong lens, that's clearly a win-loss. Winning, I stay alive. Losing, I die. Paul, because of where his hope is rooted, is saying it's good that I'm alive, but it's better that I die. And he says this, but if I live, I can do more fruitful work for Christ. So I really don't know which one is better. Then he literally says in verse 23, I'm torn between these two desires. I can't choose. This, This is hard for me to choose from. I'm torn. I long to go and be with Christ, which would be far better for me. But for your sake, it's better that I continue to live. I'm going to ask you a question right now that might seem kind of direct. But are you living in a way where if you were gone, people would be worse off? Are you living so on mission with such confidence in what God's called you to do, who God's called you to be? You're being obedient to what he's put in your heart. You're you're magnetic with your faith. You're proactive in spreading that light to people, that joy to people. You're exuding 
the character of Christ, right? Like I, I know this is a high bar, but this is what we're called to do, right? Like I don't hit it every time, but if we're striving for that, we're going to make that impact. And Paul is literally saying like, yo, for y'all, it's better that I'm here. Man, what if everybody could say that? Even if you, even if you weren't like in heaven, right? Like let's just say you, you missed work. Is, is, is your presence felt? Are people gonna be like, man, this place is so much different when they're here. Man, this, pay, this place just comes alive in a different way. Everybody feels more uplifted. Everybody feels more connected. Everybody feels more driven, more cared for, more loved when they're here. Can we say for you, it's better that I'm here? Because that's what Paul says. For you, it's better that I'm here. For me, it's better if I'm with God, but for you, it's better that I'm here. Knowing this, verse 25, I'm convinced that I will remain alive so I can continue to help all of you grow and experience joy in your faith. I got to be here so I can, I, I, get, I can share my joy with you so I can show you where the joy is at. I got to raise y'all up so that your hope is so rooted in Jesus Christ too, that you will experience this kind of joy in your faith, is what Paul's saying. And for the sake of time, I'm going to jump down to verse 27 through 30. I want to point your attention at this as well. This is towards the end of the chapter. We read through almost all of it, but for the sake of time, I'm going to jump down a little bit. I encourage you, go back and read through all this. Read over it a few times this week. Meditate on it. Pray on it. Digest it. But jumping down, verse 27, it says this, Above all, you must live as a citizen of heaven, conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ. Then, whether I come and see you again or if I only hear about you, I will know that you are standing together with one spirit and one purpose, fighting together for the faith, which is the good news. And I love that Paul starts off that as you must live as citizens of heaven. Like he's talking to people that live in a patriotic, nationalist culture where everybody is worried about their citizenship here. And so what Paul is in effect saying is, if, if, if your citizenship here in Philippi brings you that much joy, if it matters that much to you, then what should matter to you more is who you're a citizen or where you're a citizen of first, and that's heaven. So conduct yourself as a citizen of the, the real kingdom that you are from, that you represent. I love this. I, I went to Puerto Rico for the first time. If I haven't said it before, I'm Puerto Rican. My wife is Puerto Rican as well. Or a couple of other things, but but I have a my my dad is Puerto Rican. My wife's mom, my mother-in-law is Puerto Rican, and neither one of us have been to the island before. And when we went for the first time, I've never been a place where like I step off the plane and everybody looks like me, right? So at first, you know, like just that alone is like, whoa, like it's kind of, it's kind of mind boggling, right? But I, I'll never forget it. I don't, I don't know that the, the Uber driver knew how prophetic he was being when he spoke this to us, but uh, we're sitting in the back of an Uber on, on our last uh, night of our trip. 
and the guy goes, okay, so what brought you to Puerto Rico? And I said, uh, well, I'm, I'm Puerto Rican. My wife is Puerto Rican, but we, neither one of us had ever been here before. And he looked in the rearview mirror and he said, oh, you're Puerto Rican. She's Puerto Rican. I said, yeah. He goes, welcome back. That's an interesting thing to say to somebody who literally just told you, I've never been. This is our first time. And it's not that he didn't hear me. He just meant something else by that. Welcome back. And he said, when you're in Puerto Rico, you're in your house. This is your house. So welcome home. And he said, thanks for coming home. I can't tell you how much that meant to me. The first time in my life I had ever been to the land of my, my father. La tierra de mi padre. And it, it was such an emotional moment for me. Because he verbalized it so well. Welcome back. I've never been, but in a way I feel like I've never left. Everything resonated with me in such a familiar way that it felt like home. And everywhere I walked felt like grandma's house. Felt like I was at mi abuela's house. Everything smelled like her arroz con gandules. Everything smelled like acapurias. Like the reyene de papa I had growing up. Everything smelled like things that I knew, but it's somewhere I'd never been. And all the people looked like my family members, but I never met them. Something resonated with me. And what Paul is saying is the same thing. Operate as a representative of where you come from. When I, when I was in that Uber and the, and the Uber driver was like, hey man, welcome back. It made my heart just feel good. It brought me validation. It resonated with me in such, such a real way. And all I can think now is that we've never been to heaven. Obviously, we're all still here. But when we get there, I feel like it's not going to be so much of a, hey, welcome. Let me show you around. It's going to be more like a, hey, welcome back. This is your place. When you're here, you're home. And I feel like we're going to walk through heaven with the same familiarity that I walked around Puerto Rico with, where everything felt new, but everything felt like home at the same time. And Paul is urging us, believers, to walk through life and life circumstances with that same joy, with that same confidence of knowing, man, I'm a citizen of heaven. I have heaven in my bones. I have the spirit of God in my body. This brings me joy. This, this, this tells me that God is closer to me than anybody else and anything else. Paul writing this from, from his jail must have such a sense of like, man, this guard is really close. I'm chained to this, chained to this guy all day. But what's closer than that is, is God's presence. The Holy Spirit is closer to me than anybody I'm chained to. That's where our hope is at. Paul is urging us. He's full of joy. He's saying, I rejoice. I have joy in what Jesus did and, and the good news of Christ and the fact that he's coming again. So I'm in the middle of this circumstance, but this circumstance is good because I've experienced this joy because my hope is rooted in Jesus. And now because of this, 
other people get to have their hope rooted in Jesus as well. Don't you see, as long as I have this perspective, there's no lose-lose. There's not even a win-lose. There's just a win-win. But that only happens because Paul's hope is anchored in Christ. What is your hope rooted in? Is it rooted in that work promotion? Is it in a man? Is it in a woman that you're looking to be in a relationship with? Are you looking for affirmation so you've become a people pleaser? Is your hope in money so if you get more, you feel more comfortable or more taken care of, but if you got less, you stress out and you you become anxious? Is your hope in your kids that they'll make it further than you did? Maybe your hope is just simply that your current situation or circumstances will change. Listen, some of these aren't bad things. That doesn't mean we have bad intentions. It's just too temporal. It's just too small. Because when our hope is in those things, we forget that even if those things don't change, Jesus is still present. The key, the key to finding deep abiding joy is by first anchoring our hope in Jesus and the good news that he lived a blameless life, that he died in our place, that he rose again, that he's coming again. And until then, he's filled us with his Holy Spirit. We have heaven in our bones and his Holy Spirit to empower us to live like he did. The joy in living for Christ is knowing that if our hope is in him, then there's no such thing as a win-lose or a lose-lose. It's only a win-win Win, win, win. And as Paul was staring down his execution, Paul had to have known that ultimately he wasn't going to be around for very long. He was getting into a lot of trouble for the sake of Jesus. And Paul, currently in jail, chained to a Roman soldier, but knowing that death had to be imminent. If you didn't know, Paul would ultimately be beheaded for the sake of Christ. And Paul staring down that death, he had to be confident of the hope that was in Jesus. And and it just reminds me of the words that Jesus shared as he's leaving the earth. Jesus lived, was crucified, died, resurrected, and before he went to heaven, And he said these words to the people that were following him. He said, remember this. I'm with you always, even to the very end of the age. Listen, I'm with you always. There's no place in time. You couldn't jump back far enough to be without me. You couldn't couldn't skip ahead far enough to shake me. I'm with you always. I'm with you everywhere. There's no place you could go. There's no physical place you could go, and there's no mental, emotional, spiritual place that you could go where you could escape my presence, my reach, because I'm with you everywhere, anytime, even to the end of the age. So whatever you're going through right now, whatever your situation is, I want you to hear those words. I want you to take heart 
find joy in living for Christ, no matter how that looks for you. Anchor your hope in Jesus. And you'll experience wins, 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 wins. Because even the bad, when we're looking through the lens of Jesus, we can see good in it. We can see God's hand in it. And in the middle of your circumstance, when it gets hard, because it does, and I know it does, and it's not just, okay, cool, this is a win-win. It's hard. It sucks. It feels bad. I'm broke. I can't pay for groceries. I don't have money to keep the lights on in my house. I just lost somebody I love. I know just saying, hey, it's a win-win. It's still good no matter what. That doesn't help. But what does help is knowing that Jesus promised us. He promised, I'm with you always, even to the end of time. Know that today. Find joy in Jesus. Because he's not temporary. He's eternal. And he's not shaking or shifting or moving. He's constant. I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Hey, thanks again for tuning in to the Santos Church Podcast. We hope that you were blessed by what you heard today and that it moves you towards action and greater faith in Jesus. If you'd like to connect with us more, you can find us online at santoschurch.org. And that's also a great place to give if you'd like to contribute to the ministry and our mission here in Southwest Detroit. If you're on Instagram, you can connect with us at Santos Detroit or Facebook, and it's facebook.com slash Santos Church Detroit. If you find yourself in the Detroit area, we'd love to have you in person Sunday mornings at 11, 1953 Military Street. Either way, hablamos pronto. We'll talk to you soon.